Well, good evening. My name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reform. I want to welcome you all. Tonight we're going to be looking at a a very familiar passage to many of you from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And isn't there just something about it when we uh, we, uh, get near to a new year, we start thinking about new beginnings and starting over again, and sometimes we have this urge in us to want to go back to the beginning. So let's just go back to Acts chapter 2 here, uh, to when the Holy Spirit first fell upon the apostles, and we see this early New Testament church, uh, and the things that the Lord had laid upon uh, their hearts. So we'll go back to the beginning as we are at the end of the year and marching into the new year. Uh, after I, I read God's word here, if uh, we could respond, I will uh, say this is the word of the Lord. If we could respond with thanks be to God. So let's hear God's word now. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's look to God one more time in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for this, your word. Father, we pray that you would now speak to us, your people. Lord, let your spirit work in us. Give us a new insight. Uh, into not only this text, but into uh, his work in our lives. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Work smarter, not harder. How many times have you heard that phrase, and in what context? I can tell you, I've heard it often. You see, I'm not always the most knowledgeable guy when it comes to home improvement. So what generally happens for me is I get near to the end of a project and I learn that there's a tool that would have made it a whole lot easier if I had it at the beginning. Let me illustrate for you. Have you ever painted a house with vaulted ceilings? Let's say perhaps big high ceilings like these ones. And, uh, and so you get your five-gallon bucket of paint because you got to cover a lot and you got your paint tray and you have a ladder and a pole and... So, you, you know, you set that paint tray out, and you put your paint in there, and, uh, and you climb down the ladder, you climb down the ladder, you load it up, you go back up that ladder, and you can paint for a little bit, and you come back down, you do it again, and you go back up. <clears throat> and then you realize, as you're at Home Depot getting the last bit of paint that you still need to finish the job, that there's something called a paint grid, right, that you put right in that five-gallon bucket. <laughs> so you don't even need a paint tray. You can just stand up on the ladder and... There you go. It works perfect. Or maybe another house, uh, not necessarily vaulted ceilings, but have you ever painted a stairwell? And, uh, and have you ever painted a stairwell uh, 
with one foot balancing on a banister and the other foot on a wall. And then you realize there's something called a ladder or a stairwell like leveler tool, right? That you can just put on there. So you can put a ladder like right up on a stairwell, like right, you know, and you're like, wow, this is nice. Now I live to tell about that one. I've, I've learned a lot about working smarter, not harder. Now I'm not always uh, on the receiving end of such advice. Occasionally I get to give it. I can think back to seminary just one time, not really home improvement, but uh, there was a gentleman there named Ron, and Ron was in his third year, and Ron was Baptist. And so do you have any ideas what we called him? Ron the Baptist, that's right, Molly. We called him Ron the Baptist, very good friend. Um, and uh, so Ron's job, one of his jobs in seminary for work study was to vacuum the entire place. And he did it multiple times a week for three years. This is a big seminary. I mean, not a giant seminary, but if you had to vacuum the whole thing, it's, it's a lot of square footage. Uh, and so here he has this vacuum, and I watch him, and he's, he, he's like unwinding the cord, like one wind at a time. And I say to Ron, like very innocently, like I, I was, I, not sarcastic at all, if you can believe that, and I say to him, Ron, you know those, like, those two levers? Like you can just like, move that one up, and it just slides right off. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he's like, and this is what he said, I remember to this day. Freaking engineers, right? Because he knew I studied engineering. And under, he had spent three years like winding all the way up and winding all the way up, not realizing like you could just turn that and it just slides right off, right? So often, oftentimes we need to learn how to work smarter and not harder. It's amazing how the right tool can help you do that. So in life, we'll all do well in many circumstances to work smarter and not harder, so long as we don't lose the ability to work hard in the process. But what about in your spiritual life? Is it better to work smarter or harder? Should I read the Bible more? Or should I learn how to read the Bible better? Should I just spend more time in prayer? Or should I spend more time learning about prayer? Although both options are commendable at many levels, I would suggest first and foremost that when it comes to our spiritual lives, we need to not necessarily learn to work smarter, although some of us might. Not necessarily need to work harder, although many of us probably do, but we need to learn how to work spiritually. Not smarter, not harder, but spiritually. That is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just need to work using God's appointed means by the power of His Spirit and let God do the rest. Not let go and let God but submitting to the Spirit, which He has sent to dwell in our hearts, doing what He has commanded us to do, to grow as Christians, and leaving the results up to God. So today, as we look at this fledgling church in Acts chapter 2, I want to encourage you, Christian, to work in the Spirit, to grow in grace. To work in the Spirit, to grow in grace, and trust Christ to build His church. Today's passage comes on the heels of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit filled the believers and they spoke in tongues to the many Jews who were gathered there throughout the diaspora. The Apostle Peter then gives his powerful sermon and the Spirit was at work with our text telling us in verse 41 that 3,000 people received the word and were baptized into Christ's church. So before we talk about life in the Spirit, I must ask you, do you have this Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. 
Have you received this word as these 3,000 did in our text? Have you been baptized and added to the number? You see, in order to live life by the Spirit or live this new life, you must first partake of the new birth. I can tell you what life in the Spirit is like to a degree, of course. And you may try your very hardest to do it, but in the flesh, you simply cannot. You need God's Spirit to live life in the Spirit. You must be born again. If that's not you, I invite you to consider what you hear this evening, what you have seen, what we have sung, what we have prayed. And I invite you to ask questions afterwards and grill the preacher. For those who have received this Spirit, my next question is, are you working with God's Holy Spirit to grow in grace? How are you responding to his promptings and leadings in your spiritual life? In today's passage, I think God's word, God's word presents at least two aspects of life in the Spirit to us. One of those, I think, is in our communication with God, and the other is in our fellowship with the body of Christ. So a vertical aspect and a horizontal aspect. So let's take them in turn and look first at our communication with God. I have a few more questions for each of you who names the name of Christ today, and we'll start with these. Are you Christian in frequent communication with God? Are you availing yourself of the access you have to the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you? Perhaps the simplest way to boil these questions down would be to simply ask, have you been talking to your spiritual dad, your heavenly father? And has he been talking to you? Some of you might remember when you first left home and somebody said to you, you know, if it was years back, don't forget to write. Not so many years back, don't forget to call. I don't know what they say these days. Right? Don't forget to text or keep us updated on Facebook. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but most of us are familiar with the way that used to sound. Well, let me borrow a bit of a wisdom there. And charge you in the same way today, don't forget to call your Heavenly Father. And when you do, make sure you make some time to listen as well. In our text in verse 42, these earliest Christians, are these spiritual newborn babes in Christ, are devoting themselves, we read, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread, which most see as a reference to the Lord's Supper. They were newborn Christians. And these were the very most important things to them, to learn and to grow in Christ. And this is what newborns do, and we understand that. Healthy newborns come out full of noise and with healthy appetites. They talk a lot, it's mostly screaming at that point, and we're talking to them oftentimes condescending into the language that we think they can understand, goo-goo-ga-ga, and all those kinds of cute sounds. <clears throat> really, I wonder if people like looked at it, you know, if you had never experienced that, they'd just sit like, what are you talking about? But all of you, what are you talking about? Nobody's making any sense here, yet there's communication back and forth. These newborns want to be nourished, so they're constantly crying out for food. They're depending upon those outside of themselves to feed them. They can't do it themselves. They have very small stomachs. 
So they can only eat so much at a time. So to compensate for that, they eat frequently. Like 8, 10, 12 times a day. Really a physical picture of what life is like for us spiritually. We can't feed ourselves. We need to be running to God and we need His Spirit with us when we're running. The text here shows us newborns in Christ devoting themselves to feeding on God's Word. They're devoting themselves to talking to God through prayer. And they're devoted to feeding on Christ spiritually through the Lord's Supper. These are the ordinary means of grace for the believer. And they are how newborns and beyond grow in Christ. When you read his word, God speaks to you as his children. When you pray to God, you speak to him as your father. And when we come together as a church, in particular to celebrate the Lord's Supper, he feeds us as his children. But we don't do any of these things on our own. We do them by the power of God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And this is life in the Spirit. A life in communication with God, the Father. Any relationship suffers when communication stops. If I pause long enough, you can probably think of a relationship, maybe one even right now, that's suffering because communication that's really stopped. So you're talking to God. He's talking to you. He's feeding you through his word and sacraments. This is a life where you continually grow in grace. It's a life where you, possessing the spirit, grow in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. It's a life where you learn more and more to listen to the promptings and urges of the Spirit inside of you and less and less to the desires of your flesh. It's a life where the Spirit is working in you to transform you into the very likeness of Christ Himself, the one who was without sin. For some of you, even though you are in Christ, you simply may not have made these a priority in your life these ordinary means of grace. You may have made excuses as to why you don't have enough time to pray or enough time to read God's word. And if you've done that since your new birth, perhaps you're still a babe in Christ. I would urge you to lay hold of these simple spiritual disciplines, these ordinary means of grace, God's word, prayer, the sacraments. Make them part of your routine, your daily routine for prayer in God's word that you may learn and grow in your knowledge of and love for God our Savior. For others of you who have made these things common practice, perhaps they become a bit too routine. Perhaps you feel like God is not listening to your prayers. Perhaps you're reading his word and you don't feel you're getting anything out of it. And perhaps... Just perhaps, not definitely, but perhaps. This is because you're doing these things in your own strength. And you're not relying upon the Spirit. You're not inviting Him into those times of fellowship with the Father. You've forgotten to ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher as you read. To give you words as you pray. 
Life in the Spirit can never be reduced to just doing the things that are commanded in God's Word. It will always remain life in the Spirit. He, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, must lead you in prayer. He must lead you in devotion. He must lead you in worship. And as He leads you, realize He's not just leading you. He's leading others as well. The Holy Spirit is leading the church. And that brings us to the second aspect of life in the Spirit, our fellowship with the body of Christ. See, our text tells us that these young believers devoted themselves not just to the apostles' doctrine and prayer, but to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. These newborn babes in Christ knew that they were meant to live the Christian life together in the company of other Christians. And our analogy of newborns is helpful in this regard as well. Did you know that the best place for a newborn right after birth is on his or her mother's chest? This provides warmth, protection, nourishment, and the touch that newborns so desperately crave. And the further you move a newborn from that environment, the worse off a child will be. Many hospitals take all the newborns and put them separately in incubators to keep them warm. Human touch is removed, but warmth and nourishment and protection remain, as well as the company of other newborns. Studies, I would say rather cruel studies, have been done on what happens when one newborn is isolated from the rest, not regularly held. And the results are consistently negative. It is not enough that they are fed and warm and protected. They need to be held and comforted and rocked and swayed. They need to feel. They need touch. They need to have contact with others in order to thrive. Spiritual newborns, as well as the wisest among us in Christ, should have a desire for the same. You, Christian, are truly meant to live the Christian life together, as verse 44 puts it, in communion with each other as the one united body of Christ. You are created for fellowship and you suffer greatly without it. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Most of us are blessed to eat three meals a day. Or even more blessed when we get to do that with other people. Who here likes eating a meal all by themselves? Especially out in a public place. I would vouch to say none of you. It's less painful today in the world of social media, of course. But you millennials, if I snatched your phone away, just think of it that way. Okay? You can't be connected the way you're used to being connected. Right? Really, just you. Just you. When the waiter comes, perhaps you're hoping to strike up a conversation because you really have no one to talk to. You're hoping to see someone that you know so you can just engage in some kind of conversation with someone familiar. Yet none of those things happen. You're not created for fellowship, though, simply for the purpose of being together. You're meant through that fellowship to discover and then meet the needs of others as we see happening in verse 45 of our text. 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Fellowship is much more than just a meal after church together, although those indeed are great things, especially when you're locked out of your car or you don't have the keys and, uh, and everyone's going to Uno. It's an intense sharing, both spiritually and physically, right? from bearing one another's burdens in prayer to sharing one's possessions. True fellowship is fellowship not just among ourselves, however, but fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit in our midst as well. And so fellowship necessarily includes elements of prayer, elements of God's word, elements of worship, as all are intimate parts of any encounter with God. How can you have an encounter with the living God and there be no prayer? How can you have an encounter with the living God and he not speak? How can you have an encounter with the living God and there not be some aspect of falling on your knees in worship. Fellowship is doing the means of grace, both as the church gathered on the Lord's Day and as the church scattered the other six days of the week. And this is what life in the Spirit is meant to be like. Vibrant, dynamic, intimate, all the while being connected to something much greater than yourself. It is regular communication with God, learning and growing in your quiet time with Him, and learning and growing together as His church, breaking bread together, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn, sharing the love of Christ with each other and with a watching world that needs His Holy Spirit just as desperately as we do. If you are in Christ, this is life for you. And the Holy Spirit is moving you in this direction. God loves his children far too much to let them sit by. Hungry, lonely, afraid, isolated. His Spirit is at work in you. With the new year rapidly approaching, perhaps you've made some resolutions along these lines already. Have you made a resolution to read your Bible more? Have you made a resolution to pray more? Have you made a resolution to attend church more regularly? These are all great things. And I commend you for that. So you want to work harder, you want to work smarter, or even both in your spiritual life. But who here has made a resolution to consistently ask God's Spirit to be with you this year? To ask God's Spirit to be teaching you while you read. To ask God's Spirit to be speaking to you while you hear His Word preached. To ask God's Spirit to be prompting you in your times of prayer. To ask God's Spirit to be giving you words to speak in times of prayer. That God's Spirit would be leading you in all things, whether reading or prayer or worship. Have you Ask that. Well, probably not too many of us actually do. We just think we'll do more of the same all by ourselves instead of asking God, the Holy Spirit, to have a greater impact with the things that we are currently doing. And I think perhaps that's where we're missing the mark. All too often, I think we've lost the awe we read about in verse 43 of our text. Awe coming upon every soul. 
that godly reverential fear of being in the presence of Almighty God Himself. I'm afraid that sometimes we lose the spirit in our spiritual lives. Think of that, the tragic irony. So as we close out this Advent season, one of the things, and one of the names we've reflected on is Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. The theme of God with us is at the very core of the Bible. In my estimation, it's the vivid picture running throughout Scripture. It's often phrased something like this, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. In the early chapters of Genesis, we see this very thing, God walking among his people. After the fall of man, when man could no longer enter into God's presence, we see God making a way to dwell among his people in the Old Testament tabernacle and then temple. Then in Christ's advent, his first coming, we see God literally coming to tabernacle or dwell among us. And of course, upon Christ's second coming, we read in the book of Revelation that the dwelling place of God would be with man once again. But what about in between Christ's comings? We read in John chapters 14 through 16, as the hour of Christ's departure from the world drew near, Christ taught of a helper that he would send, an advocate, one to guide us into truth, God's holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, the ascended Christ sent that very Holy Spirit of God to dwell not only among God's people generally, but in the very hearts of God's people. The very Spirit of God living inside of us. Now, if we hear of like demon possession, we think, oh my goodness, that's crazy, right? But when we think of Holy Spirit possession, I think, ah, oh, that's no big deal. But it is. But it is. The very Spirit of God, which is holy, dwelling inside of you. We, unrighteous sinners who could never enter into God's presence due to His holiness, God has been pleased to fill with His very Spirit, which is holy. It's as if we are living bushes aflame, but not consumed. Something inside of us so pure and holy should destroy us, but by God's grace, it doesn't. It's nothing less than supernatural. And I suggest to you today that the ordinary Christian life, when lived out by the power of God's Spirit, is nothing less than supernatural. We as Christians have been given the gift of nothing less than the supernatural life. And in keeping with the spirit of the holiday season, we all know that the best gifts are meant to be shared. So we invite strangers along for this incredible journey we are taking with the very Holy Spirit of the living God. This Holy Spirit that has been pleased to take up residence within us individually and corporately as a church. And if you ask others along for this ride to share in this supernatural life you are living, then the Lord may be pleased to do something else. He may be pleased to add to his church 
as we see in both the beginning and the end of our text today. You see, the promise that Christ is building his church and that the gates of hell will not overcome it still stands today. And God is at work by the Holy Spirit to apply the redemption purchased by Christ to men and women, boys and girls, just like you and me. He's in the business of saving the likes of you and me from our sins, of sending his Holy Spirit to take up residence in our very hearts, and of letting that Holy Spirit work in us to transform us into his image. So am I asking you today to work smarter or harder? Hopefully you're not going to pick one of those two. Although they might both be helpful. Only you know that. What I know is more helpful for every one of us is that we work spiritually. That we, above all, seek God's Holy Spirit this year. That is, to grow in grace intentionally, using the means of grace that God has appointed. His word, prayer, the sacraments. As you sit down to read God's word this year, will you pause and ask his spirit to be at work? As you sit down to pray this year, will you pause and just ask God's Holy Spirit to be at work, giving you words to speak, speaking to you? As we worship together as a church this year, will we pause and ask the Spirit of God to be at work in us. As you sit down for your first time in a cubicle on Monday morning, will you pause and ask the Spirit of God to be at work? As you're raising children, or whatever it is that consumes the bulk of your time, will you pause and ask God's Spirit to be at work in you? When we as Christians do that, when we live lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit cannot help but take up residence in the life of the church, in its worship, and in its witness. So Christian, work in the Spirit to grow in grace. See the reform, let us work corporately in the Spirit to grow together. And let us trust Christ to build His church here in Greenfield and in Oakland, in the places that we live and work, in Pittsburgh and beyond. And let's be careful to give God the glory as he does this. Let's pray.